0: So you can do anything you want, but don't play the victim and take back control in your life. And a lot of that control happens to be around money. So, you know, rather than your money controlling you, you want to make sure you're in control of your money.
1: Does talking about your money make you cringe? Are you tired of fighting about finances? Do you want to stop sabotaging your financial happiness? then you are in the right place. Welcome to Breaking Money Silence, a podcast series aimed at helping all of us talk more openly about money. Your host, Kathleen Burns Kingsbury, is a wealth psychology expert who is doing what she does best, speaking about taboo topics. International speaker, Author and founder of KBK Wealth Connection, Kathleen understands money and our relationship with it. Over the past decade, she has empowered thousands of people to break money silence at home and at work. Now, here is Kathleen.
2: Today, we are talking about marriage and what a risky proposition it can be. As many of you know, half of marriages end in divorce. And I Don't think anybody walks down the aisle thinking, hey, some days we'll call it quits, you know, we'll just say that this marriage isn't gonna work. But unfortunately, it's a reality that couples or partners need to face, that sometimes it doesn't work out. And so falling in love, I think, is the easy part. But when you decide, hey, you know what, I'm contemplating a divorce or I'm thinking about splitting up, I think that's a really complicated proposition. So if you are somebody who is contemplating divorce, works with people who are going through divorce, or know someone that you love that is in this situation, you need to listen to this episode of the Breaking Money Silence podcast. Our guest is Diane Pappas. She is a certified divorce financial analyst who's handled over 400 divorce cases. She is passionate about helping her clients make informed financial decisions during a highly emotional time. And Diane and I met in a networking group called Provisors, and we have been meeting regularly, and I'm really impressed with her work. So I'm excited to have this conversation with you uh, today, Diane. Welcome to the podcast.
0: Well, thank you. Thank you so much for that introduction, Kathleen. I'm very happy to be here. Yes, yes. And you know,
2: one of the things that you said in one of our meetings really shocked me, and it's part of why I want you to be sharing your information with our audience. You said that if somebody is contemplating a divorce, that it makes sense not to go right to the attorney, the divorce attorney, which we always think, oh, if I'm getting a divorce, I should go to a divorce attorney. You said, you know what? It may be a mistake to go there first. And so can you tell us a little bit about if you are thinking about divorce, maybe you haven't even decided yet, who should you contact before your attorney?
0: Well, I am a CDFA, so yeah, it's a little it's a little uh, one-sided here, but most CDFAs will tell you, and that's certified divorce financial analyst, most of us will tell you that it is beneficial for you to meet with a CDFA first prior to going to an attorney. Uh, The knee jerk reaction seems to be to hire a pit bull attorney because your best friend, your coworker or your hairdresser told you that's what you have to do to protect yourself because they heard some horror story. And, oh, my gosh, this attorney was great. But uh, the reality is the way to protect yourself is by being financially informed and educated. And I think you would agree to that since this is what your podcast is all about. It's just very important to be informed and educated at the outset of the divorce process so you know what to expect and you have a full understanding of what your assets are, your income, your expenses, your needs, and your goals. So why come to us first? Well, because we are the financial experts. We're specifically trained to understand and resolve, uh, identify the financial and tax issues of a divorce. The attorneys are legal experts and they're great at that. And some are very savvy in the financial world, but they, they, are, they don't actually take any classes that brings them up to date on any of the new financial things. Things are changing all the time with employers, different types of compensation, the list goes on and on. So really only a CDFA can provide you with the type of information you need at the beginning of the process. And again, it's so you are financially informed educated and empowered with that information.
2: So let me just jump in here, um, Diane, do you ever meet with someone and the person decides, hey, I can't afford a divorce or it's going to be too costly? Does that ever happen?
0: I n- no, I've actually never had anyone do that. They might choose a different way to go. So if you do mediation, you do not need an attorney. Uh, we recommend you have an attorney on the sidelines. But there are alternatives. You you don't need an attorney to go through mediation and get a divorce, at least in Massachusetts. Uh, you can uh, do it pro se, which is you're on your own without an attorney if you really want to save money. I don't recommend that. And if you do do it pro se without attorneys, you should definitely meet with a CDFA to make sure you've covered all your financial bases.
2: Yes, yes. I'm just curious because I know I, I, I thought of an instance with a friend of mine and one of her reasons why she stayed, and of course, money is often used as a reason to do something or not do something, was that she felt like she couldn't afford to get a divorce. But I don't think she ever met with someone like you. So I think they're back on track. So we don't need to do that referral today, Diane. But uh, you know, I think you're speaking to the idea that, and especially women, I'm not saying men shouldn't do this either, but really looking at what are my financial assets? How are things going to be split? And you also mentioned, you know, mediation versus a divorce attorney, uh, litigation versus something else. So it sounds like you really address the whole picture around divorce. Can you give us an example of maybe some of the conversations that you have or some of the things that you talk about your clients with in that first meeting?
0: Right. So uh, funny thing. I just had a phone call this morning (laughs) from a woman contemplating divorce. And I said, oh, my gosh, I'm doing a podcast in an hour. (laughs) And this is these were exactly her questions. Uh, She had reached out to me over the summer and was contemplating it. And, you know, it does take time. It takes people a long time to, you know, get to the point where they're ready to tell their spouse they want a divorce. Um, It can take years but uh, the conversation today was she wanted to know what it was going to look like. She wanted to know if uh, you know she would be able to stay in the home. Would they have to sell? Uh, you know What were her options? She doesn't know what her husband makes, and this is very common. A lot of people don't know what their spouse is making or bringing home. A lot of people don't even know what they have for assets. So in this initial conversation, I give people a list of the items I need and You know, they may not be able to get all of them, but at least I get an idea of what we're looking at. And uh, if they decide to move forward with either mediation, then we bring in the other person and we, you know, we uh, gather all the documents. But what I what I like to do is I like to hear the story because that will help me decide on maybe some names to give them to for an attorney. Because one of the other reasons why I don't recommend you go to an attorney first is because you may be meeting with the wrong type of attorney. So remember in the beginning, I said the knee-jerk reaction is to hire a pit bull attorney. Well, when I hear the term pit bull, I hear litigation. I hear endless fighting for something you'll probably never get. And I hear spending ridiculous sums of money because there are just, there are unfortunately litigating attorneys who will just, they were trained to fight, fight, fight. That's what they went to school for. That's what it's all about. But there are other attorneys that really do want to help you resolve the issues in an amicable way, and you don't always have to go the route of litigation.
2: You know, I have to respond to a couple of things you said in there. One is, I wish it surprised me that sometimes people don't know their spouse's salary. Uh, Mm -hmm. There's been research done, and it's amazing how many couples don't know what the other person makes. And certainly, I'm on a mission to break money silence, and that's one of the areas uh, that I would love for couples to talk about just because it's really important to know what kind of income is coming in to decide how you're going to spend, invest or gift your money. Yeah, uh, I, but not, yeah. but not surprising. Uh, do you see that? You said you see that a lot.
0: Oh my gosh. I Kathleen, I cannot believe. Um, you're married to this person 15, 20 years and you don't know what their income is. You haven't had a discussion of how much money you have in a 401k or or an IRA or anything. I, I find that really difficult. I it's um, and like you, I'm trying to change that as well when it comes to divorce to really help level the playing field so that both parties are informed because that's the other thing that happens in divorce. There's always one side that's more knowledgeable. Like, for example, the person that doesn't know the other person's income. Trust me, that person knows your income and their own, and they know what all their assets are. But they don't want to tell you because it's kind of keeping the control. And so in divorce, my job is to level the playing field and to get both people back on the same to have the same amount of control, of the financial information, because that's the only way you can negotiate. If you don't know what you're negotiating for in a divorce because you don't know what your assets are, then it's never going to work. You're just going to listen to what somebody tells you to do. Most likely you're controlling spouse. And that's why, in the beginning, I think you said women typically don't receive a very, you know, a, a good settlement, and that might be one of the reasons why.
2: You know, it's it's. I'm not getting a divorce. I'm in a happy marriage. But if we do ever decide to split, I'm going to send my husband to you because there's <laughs> no way I could tolerate not knowing <laughs> right. what what our financial picture looked like. And I I know it depends on somebody's money, personality. Uh, it could depend on their generation, how their uh, couple dynamic works. I have worked with a lot of women who have gone through divorce or people who work with women uh, going through that transition and the work that I do with financial advisors. I'm wondering, it's such an emotional process. And when you're going through divorce and, and one of the things I'm curious about is, you know, when we're making these highly emotional decisions often people make mistakes, not because they're not smart, not because necessarily they're not informed, just because it's such an emotional time. So what is the biggest mistake you see people making uh, when they're going through this process? And maybe we'll speak to if you see women making more of one particular type of mistake versus someone who identifies differently.
0: Right. Well, you said it um, right there. You said emotional. And when you are making financial decisions coming from an emotional point of view they it rarely works you some you have to unfortunately take the emotions out of it which i feel most men can do and so a lot of women say well he's treating this like a business deal and in fact that's what they're able to do they take the emotions out of it and look at the numbers So what I do is I, we want to acknowledge the emotions because of course the emotions are there, but what we also want to do is say, we've got to really look at the financial uh, piece to this because that's what your spouse is doing. And the biggest mistake I see is a lot of women want the, want to stay and sometimes even own the marital home, the home that the family is in. Maybe the children are still there. Maybe they're not. And the woman sometimes will say, I don't care. I want this house no matter what. And he can keep his retirement. Well, that is obviously the biggest mistake to make because um, a house can't pay the bills. A house is, you'd have to sell the house in order to access that money. You might have, you may have taxes to pay on it. If there's capital gains, depending on how long you've owned it, and then you still need a place to live. So that is probably one of the biggest mistakes. And I think things are changing with that scenario, but there are, I believe the biggest mistakes that women make are that they um, are not thinking financially that they are, it's it's the emotional aspect and that's really hard to get over. And the the house is one of the the biggest emotionally tied assets there are. But the the other thing that I, I do, I've seen a lot lately too, are women who feel guilty about asking for things like asking for half of the retirement account. Well, that's kind of our those are the guidelines pretty much. If you have a long-term marriage, things are going to be divided equitably. Now that doesn't always mean 50/50, but it pretty much ends up that way in most cases here in Massachusetts anyway. So there, sh- there should not be any guilt about asking for what you are entitled to. I mean this was a marriage, everything in the marriage. Any and also in Massachusetts and in equitable distribution states, anything brought into the marriage, whether it's individually owned or owned jointly, is considered a marital asset and it's on the table. So that is that's that are, those are the laws in most states and both parties regardless of whether you worked or you were a stay-at-home mom, you're entitled to an equitable distribution, which is typically 50%. So I'm always telling women, please don't feel guilty. But, you know, but he worked so hard. Yes, but you did too. You stayed home and you gave him, you you were home and gave him the opportunity to go out and make that. So you're an equal partner and most states acknowledge that.
2: Well, and I can see the emotional support and the, um, kind of the, the rational approach i mean compassionate but rational approach to this could be so helpful for someone going through that divorce i can't tell you how many people i know who did get divorced women who have the house and then after they have the house they're like i don't want to be in this house or i don't know what to do with this house or exactly and and I, I understand it you know um we recently sold a family home and it is emotional you have a lot of emotional attachment to it But I think really thinking through and having someone like you think through what are the financial ramifications of letting your emotions decide for you? Now, is that changing at all? And I don't know the age of your clientele, but do you find that the younger generation is less attached to the house or maybe female breadwinners are less emotional about it? Or do you feel like "Mm, things are pretty much the same no matter what their role was in the couplehood?
0: Um, hard question. I think the house is always going to be an emotional thing, especially if the kids are there, because yeah. people keep the status quo. But one thing I do want to say is that you don't necessarily have to always buy out the other person. What I'm seeing a lot of right now, and this is mostly because of the economy, the real estate market and the mortgage interest rates, is that people are co-owning the home jointly after the divorce. And this has been going, you can do this, this is not something new. But this is a way that You co-own it, um, there are special rules that apply for when you co-own a home after the divorce, you can co-own it for a certain period of time. It's six years, there's some reasons why for capital gains, but this allows the parties to keep the status quo for a couple of years until a certain point comes up. And that point is typically the kids graduate high school. The kids, um, you know, are in now, uh, they're out of elementary school and into middle school. So there's usually some kind of a a date that we can get to and say, okay, they're going to co-own the home jointly for the next three years, and then they'll put it on the market or either party will have the opportunity to buy the other party out. That way you at least are able to keep the status quo for the kids, but then also get used to your life after divorce. Now, Mm -hmm. I... When I got divorced in 2008, we did co-own our home jointly after the divorce uh, because I could not find anything else to buy in Sudbury. That's just not possible. (laughs) And by the end, when my youngest graduated high school, I was ready to get out of that house. So that's another thing I try to tell people is like, look, this was your home with your kids, but your your ideas are going to change. You may not want to stay in that home. And I didn't. I wanted to move on. It was too big. I wanted something else. I wanted something to call my own. So that's another reason why you don't necessarily, again, take a knee-jerk reaction and say, I want the house no matter what.
2: And I love that from an emotional standpoint to figure out a timeframe because there is so much that changes once you legally get divorced and things settle and you start looking at your life a little bit differently and that's my experience in working with clients who have divorced and and i think the upside i see with a lot of women that i coach is they end up more financially confident so it was a wake up call this divorce whether they wanted it or not in yeah. terms of their finances and then within a year or so they're like wow i can't believe i had my head in the sand this is so much better to know
0: oh i mean i see you know divorce takes a while so i'm with people a year you know year and a half two years and I see so much growth in women, especially from when they came to me crying, you know, on the phone and apologizing and to where they are now, you know, they're good to go. I've, I, And that's the thing, like a CD, a good CDFA with a lot of experience and knowledge can really set you up to, a, you know, a really good transition to a post-divorce life. And, and that's what you're looking for.
2: So we've been talking about contemplating a divorce and we've been talking about the mistakes people make and who you should talk to first and the financial aspects. I'm going to take a quick break. And when we get back, I want to get more into the tactics and really have Diane share with us what are some of the tips and tools that women should be thinking about as they enter marriage, just being, I guess, preventative if indeed their relationship does end in a divorce. So we'll be back in a minute. Hi, it's Kathleen Burns Kingsbury. I hope you're enjoying this episode of the Breaking Money Silence podcast. I wanted to take a quick time out to tell you a little bit about financial therapy. Yes, financial therapy. That word keeps showing up in the media more and more, but I've been doing financial therapy for years. And in 2023, I'm going to expand this part of my business. And I wanted you, my podcast listeners, to be the first to know. If you're curious about what is financial therapy, just know that it helps individuals and couples change unhealthy money habits, attitudes that cause them stress, anxiety, and lead them to feel uncomfortable with money. If you have trouble making big decisions, if you find that you're shopping too much, carrying too much debt, worrying about money, even though you shouldn't be worrying about money because there's enough in the bank, it may be time to consider financial therapy. The benefits are numerous and individual, but former clients have told me that they have experienced, in a very short period of time, a decrease in money-related anxiety and stress, they have less conflict about money in their relationships, and they engage in more productive money conversations. The advisors that refer clients to me say, finally, my clients can make the changes in their financial behaviors in order to save for their future. So if this sounds appealing to you and you want to know a little bit more, I have a special offer. I'm offering a free 30-minute consultation to anyone who's interested in learning more about financial therapy. You can email me at kbk at breakingmoneysilence.com or you can go to the show notes, click on the schedule link and set something up via my automatic calendar. If you're listening to this, not on my website, and you find that I don't want to do that, I would rather just reach out to you directly. Feel free to use my private email at kbk at breakingmoneysilence.com and shoot me an email letting me know you'd like to take advantage of this time-limited offer. So my hope is we'll chat about financial therapy soon. And now it's time to get back to our regular programming. I am here today with Diane Pappas. She's a certified divorce financial analyst with a lot of experience working with women in divorce and really being a kind, compassionate, yet very good financial person about how to help people navigate this transition. So Diane, before the break, we were talking about kind of how women really can blossom through this experience and gain more financial confidence. I I wanna switch gears a little bit and spend some time talking about what advice or tips would you give women who are currently entering marriage? In other words, you have seen a lot of divorces. You've gone through your own experience. And what advice would you give for that person who's thinking about walking down the aisle when it comes to managing money as as a couple?
0: Well, in 2018, I gave this advice to my daughter. (laughs) She got married. (laughs) And um, I actually, in my speech that I made at the wedding, I put this in there. I said, you know, you you need to talk about your financial goals and your thoughts and your feelings, uh, what your goals are now, and what your financial goals are in the future. Typically, there's one per party that wants likes to maybe spend money and a lot, another party that wants to save money. Those uh, competing um, thoughts can really create problems going forward. And if you don't talk about them in the beginning and you don't come to some kind of middle road as to how you're going to spend your money and how much you think you should save and the things that you want to plan for in life, things cost money, education. So are you, know, are you going to put aside, you're going to start putting aside money for your kid's education? What about your retirement? What is, what you, I know it's really far off, but you know, how do you envision traveling, things like that? People have an idea of what they want to do and what their life is going to look like. But the thing is, you have to talk about it as a new newly married couple because you have to be on the same page and you have to really make sure that you understand each other and you respect that somebody likes to go out to dinner while maybe the other person doesn't. But you've got to find a, a, me, a happy medium somewhere and you have to talk about it.
2: I love that advice for obvious reasons, but I, I work a lot with couples around the idea of it's okay if there's differences because, but if you talk about them and you label them and then you can pull on each other's strengths. You know, in Mm -hmm. my own marriage, when I married my husband, he definitely was a spender, had his head in the sand about money and he'll be the first to admit it. Mm -hmm. I was uh, in banking and finance at the time, uh, was very type A, dare I say, Mm -hmm. uh, and cheap, right? So, you know, very different money personalities. Over the course of 25 years, we have had many, many conversations. It hasn't always gone smoothly, Um, but in the end, what I think we've been able to do and what I encourage other couples to think about is we pull on his strengths, which is you're a little bit easier being spontaneous around money. And there's some joy in that. And I'm really good at planning for the future. Mm -hmm. And so I think if couples can pull on each other's strengths and not see differences as oh, you're wrong and I'm right. But instead, like, how do we capitalize on this? How do we make a good financial team? And that all starts with a conversation.
0: Right, conversation, yep. And transparency as well. You know, because like we were saying earlier in the podcast, people don't know what their spouse's income is or what their assets are. That's kind of scary. You're going through a marriage and you don't know. So again, it's, yes, the conversations and the transparency and, and sharing of information.
2: Yeah, no, that's great advice. So, I'm going to ask you for one more piece of advice before we wind down today. I want you to think about what's one piece of advice you'd like to leave our listeners with about the topic of divorce.
0: So, a lot of people who are going through a divorce, they feel like they are getting the bad end of the stick. They're the the bad part of the deal or whatever. They they feel they're being taken advantage of. They feel they're being the victim. And what I want to say is please do not play the victim because that will that will not get you anywhere if your case happens to go to court and a judge decides something it is what it is whether it's fair or not or you know no matter how much you fought and whatever whatever comes down that is what it is and you you have to accept it you also have to accept that this this person that you married now wants wants a divorce and that was hard for me And I could have very easily played the victim. I was actually a stay-at-home mom for 18 years, believe it or not, before when my husband asked for a divorce. And I reinvented myself. So the advice is there is a good life after divorce. Don't play the victim. You can, you have options. Like I said, I went from a stay-at-home mom now to one of the um, top five CDFAs in Massachusetts. And I'm also nationally recognized. So you can do anything you want, but don't play the victim and take back control in your life. And a lot of that control happens to be around money. So, you know, rather than your money controlling you, you want to make sure you're in control of your money.
2: I love that advice. And I really like the idea that you took a crisis in your life and turned it into an opportunity. A similar thing happened in my life around why I'm in money psychology was getting ripped off by a contractor. And we turned that opportunity. Uh, Mm -hmm. that crisis into an opportunity. And it's, you know, feel your feelings, but I understand what you're saying. It's it's move forward, reinvent your life. And it sounds like you really help people do that. So I really appreciate your time and your expertise on the podcast today. And I'm wondering where people can find out more about your work. I know you also have a podcast. So if you want to mention that as well, uh, and we will definitely put all that information in the show notes.
0: Yeah. So my, my website solutions for divorce.com you can Google Diane Pappas. I should show up my podcast, uh, what I do with a colleague, uh, Chris Chen, who is also a certified divorce financial analyst is divorcefriday.com. Thank goodness. It's divorce Friday. (laughs) (laughs) You can also find us on Facebook, but if you want to listen to any of our podcasts, just again, Google it and Divorce Friday Podcast, and it'll pop up on several of the different platforms.
2: Excellent. Excellent. What well, has been so informative and delightful to break money silence with you today,
0: Diane? Great. Thank you so much, Kathleen. Thank you for
1: listening to Breaking Money Silence, hosted by Kathleen Burns Kingsbury, a wealth psychology expert, author, and founder of KBK Wealth Connection. If you like what you heard today, be sure to subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast app and leave a review. Also, share this episode with your friends and family. It is a great way to get the conversation started. For more money talk tips and information or to hire Kathleen to speak at your next event, go to www.breakingmoneysilence.com.